my money. Money. I get money from you. Money in the bank. Young money. Money, 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 money. It's a rich man's world. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. World-renowned financial advisor and best-selling author Barry James Dyke will arm you with the truth. This is The Economic Warrior. And good afternoon, Portsmouth, and uh, those few uh, folks listening uh, across the U.S. and abroad. You're listening to WSCA Radio, Portsmouth Community Radio, in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, and my name is Barry James Dyke. Welcome to the Economic Warrior Show. 12 noon, winter is coming. We have lots to talk about today, folks. We have a very special guest on today, Eileen Applebaum. She's author of a, a great book called uh, Private Equity at Work, and it's about the interconnection of Wall Street uh, finance, private equity in particular, with Main Street. I hope we'll put some light on this corner of finance that Maybe one in a hundred Americans understand. God, God bless you, Eileen. I'm a fan of your work. I'm so uh, I really love what you've done, and you know I've been working actually on a book on private equity myself for about five or six years, and I'm so grateful Great. that you that you uh, did this work, Eileen. Do people really understand private equity in this country? No, actually, I don't think they do. So, if just tell you briefly about the private equity model, it's basically one of these uh, models in which uh, the uh, the house never loses. It's like a casino in that respect. It's organized so that money flows upward to the private equity firm from everything they put their hands on. So you have a private equity firm. It gets investors to give it money. It takes the money and it buys whole companies and takes them private. In this way, it's different from hedge funds or other kinds of uh, investment funds. It actually owns the companies. It has a kind of wall between it and the company. So the law views the private equity firm as a uh, just a passive investor. Like a, if you buy shares of stock in a company and the company breaks a law, you as the shareholder are not responsible. Only the company is responsible. And the law treats the private equity firm just like it, it was a shareholder. But... In fact, the private equity firm owns the company, puts the managers in place, makes the policy for the workers, lays them off or doesn't lay them off, uh, obeys the law when it does lay them off, the WARN Act, for example, which requires 60 days of pay. They just The companies go under, they don't give the workers anything, and they say, hey, we're bankrupt, we have no money, and the private equity firm says, hey, has nothing to do with us, we're just shareholders. So uh, you have that kind of thing going on. They collect a lot of money from their investors. 35% of the money coming into private equity comes from pension funds. So yeah. if any of your listeners <laughs> belong to a pension, there's a high probability that they are supporting all this terrible stuff that happens uh, on the watch of private equity. So uh, they, they take this money, and then they charge the pension funds an enormous amount of money, all of it because it's private, is not open to the public. We don't know much about it but they charge them lots of money, so they make that money, whether it's good times or bad, uh, and then uh, they use that money to buy up whole companies, and then they charge the companies uh, <laughs> monitoring fees. I, I don't know what, what are the investors paying for, but anyway, they charge the companies monitoring fees, and this is all money that goes up. Yeah. Uh, and they have so little of their own money at risk 
that they take all kinds of risky things. And in good times, the economy is doing well, everything works out okay. You load companies up with debt, you uh, strip them of their assets, whatever it is you do, as long as the economy is booming or doing pretty well, it works out. But the minute you hit a recession, then everything goes south. And when that happens, the private equity firm has very little of its own money at stake, loses very little, has already collected more in management fees and monitoring fees than it will ever lose. So it ha- it's okay. And then the losses uh, are on the company, on the workers, on the communities uh, that suffer when uh, major businesses go under. So uh, that's a big part of the model. I-, I will step back and say that there are smaller private equity companies that buy little businesses and yep. really do help them grow and function as advertised. So I don't want to say that everything they do is bad, but a lot of what goes on is really about enriching the private equity firm. Yeah. And, and the reason why I really thought it was very appropriate, Eileen, to have you on, I've been researching, I hope you got my books, but I've been researching this stuff um, for a number of years. And, and I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a political atheist, to be sincere with you. Mm-hmm. I'm seeing we got, it's all about leverage finance. And this right. is Don, Donald Trump said he was going to drain the swamp. And I can talk about how Hillary and Bill's involvement in private equity as well, but I want to get into there. We got Steve Mnuchin, who essentially flipped the the IndyMac Bank was a private equity deal, essentially. No, that was a hedge fund deal. Yeah, but Flowers is involved in it and the whole thing. And so he was very involved in leverage finance. And then you have, uh, you got Wilbur Ross, who's going to be the new Commerce Secretary. Then you got the new Labor Secretary, Puster, Andy Puster. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I, and, and I'm Betty say, DeVos. Yeah, and at at, uh, at education. Yeah, but it's, yeah, the Welcome to the Billionaires Club. The thing is, Eileen, the CKE, the company where Andy Puster, Puster, uh, Andy Puster, yeah, Puzzer, that was an Apollo right. uh, uh, portfolio company, which has been since been flipped to Rogue Capital. So exactly, you know, so it, I, a lot of it is just kind of business as usual. It's true. So what you can say about Trump and all of these guys is that they are what are called alternative investments. Yep. Uh, they're, they're not mutual funds. It's not where you would put your own pension money if you had a choice. Uh, but instead, these are high-risk investments, people who are using lots of borrowed money, putting a very little of their own money, and taking big risks, which, uh, if they go south, you know, uh, hurt, hurt ordinary people. I think there's a difference between Mnuchin and Wilbur Ross. I think Mnuchin is, in terms of uh, the labor secretary, that's a, that's a complete travesty. We can go there in a minute. <laughs> yeah. But in terms of looking at Mnuchin and at Ross, Mnuchin is just the bottom of the, of the barrel, as far as I'm concerned. His father worked for Goldman Sachs. He worked for Goldman Sachs. Uh, the idea that we're draining the swamp it makes no sense. Uh, he started a private. Uh, sorry, he started a hedge fund called Dune, uh, Dune, Dune Capital. Capital yeah, yeah. And together with Paulson, who had hedge funds, Paulson's the guy who bet against the housing market, <laughs> knowing that those securities have been loaded with junk, and uh, who made a fortune doing that, and has made hardly any money on other kinds of things. But he makes money on on this. Uh, so he and Paulson, and to be honest, George Soros as well. Yep. They went in and they bought this. Uh, bankrupt bank called IndyMac that went under because of all the bad mortgage loans that it made. Uh, they, they bought it very cheaply for $1.15 billion. Uh, the government was uh, happy to get rid of it, and the government then gave them a guarantee that if any of the loans, all those bad loans that were in that bank, if any of them went under, 
the government would cover 80% of any losses. So it has cost uh, the FDIC, uh, with taxpayer money, $13 billion to get that bank up and running. Uh, and uh, then uh, they changed the name to One West. They yep. sold it to CIT. <laughs> yep. And then Mnuchin and his guys, they made $3 billion. So the taxpayer lost $13 billion, and the hedge fund guys made $3 billion. And then they were the worst. They were the worst. Uh, foreclosure mill, uh, when they became One West, they foreclosed on 36,000 homes in California alone, 68% of them in non-white areas. They had a reverse mortgage thing, which uh, is where you get old people to give them the equity in their homes in order to be able to live in the homes more cheaply until they die. Uh, and they foreclosed on those people. Uh, they, they were responsible for something like uh, 39% of all of the foreclosures nationally on these reverse mortgages. And in one case in Florida, it was a woman, they, they sent her a bill for something, and she made a mistake on the check of 27 cents, and they foreclosed on her. Now, that's being fought in court right now. And her lawyers, who are, of course, uh, uh, you know, the legal services people, they've asked for a jury trial. But, I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous. And he now, they, they finally sold the bank to some, uh, another bank called CIT. He sits, uh, he, uh, I'm laughing because it's just, it's such a scam, uh, Eileen. I mean, scam. it's such a he's scam. Still, he's, that's right. As Treasury Secretary, he's going to decide what the regulations are for banks like the one whose board he sits on and who's, where he's got money invested. You know, the Republicans and, are trying to roll back what regulations we have on. We, we regulate the 27 largest regional banks, yeah. the smaller regional banks we don't do anything with. But those are the ones that went under in that, in that crisis, Wachovia, Countrywide. So we now have regulations in place so that we don't face that kind of situation. And uh, the Republicans in the House have introduced legislation that would roll back those safeguards and would benefit uh, Mnuchin directly. Yeah. I mean, he's done so many things that are going to just benefit himself. If you're not bored, I can tell you about more of them. But anyway, he's done so many things. Yeah. So, uh, you know you know what I found out in, in researching this? And we I could talk to you for a couple hours, uh, Eileen, may even have you back on sometime, is that I didn't realize is that for our listeners, what what uh, Mnuchin and uh, Soros and the crew, uh, when, they, when they did they did a dividend recap on um, IDIMAC, and I stumbled mm-hmm. upon that for a billion dollars. And and so <laughs> what they did, <laughs> after getting this bag, they, they levered it up, put a billion dollars more debt on the books, and they extracted wow. a dividend. And you know, and, yeah. as, and, and they extracted out as you know at capital gains rates, and under the IRS code, I guess they don't even have to pay taxes on it until the debt is retired. So, and then they sold it to CIT, right. which which was, itself went bankrupt in I think two thousand nine. The taxpayer had put two to three billion into CIT in two thousand nine, and then it was run by John Thane, the you know the Goldman Sachs yeah. and Merrill Lynch. I mean, you couldn't make this stuff up, could you? Right, right, right. And now we have put regulations in place to to reduce those kinds of risks, and they want to roll them back. Yeah. If he's the Treasury Secretary, you're going to see those regulations rolled back. Look where you know, our former Treasury Secretary went, Timmy Geithner. Where did he go to work yeah. for? Warburg. He went to a private equity company. Yeah, private equity. Well, he couldn't go to a bank, you know, because <laughs> that would have been too unseemly. You know, so... Uh, <laughs> You know, but but, but, to a private equity company. but people don't realize the the big brand names involved in private equity. And 
I talk about leverage finance and people their they their eyes glaze over and I tell exactly you know so I I try to tell them who's been involved in private equity well I, I would say Chrysler Motors that was a, in LBO by Cerberus and they went bankrupt we right. got Heinz ketchup you know and right. and, and Kraft right. and Burger King which are all owned by 3G and Warren right. Buffett changed the name to protect the innocent don't they yeah so I mean basically you could walk down Main Street and quite a few of those companies either are owned by private equity, were owned by private equity, people don't know. You know, and a lot of them have gone under. Linens and things went under. Yep, uh, Apollo, yeah. Harry and David was in bankruptcy. Wasserman, they, yeah. Was- they, they, they took those dividends out. I mean, the, you know, just a, a long list of companies. In good times were fine, but in bad times not so, didn't work out so well. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, I call it bankruptcy for billionaires. <laughs> yeah, you know, because <laughs> I just, Eileen, I, I just couldn't believe it. Like you mentioned, Harry and David, the iconic uh, fruit basket. Mm-hmm. It's that time of the year where everyone gets fruit baskets from Harry and David, so people know about them. I guess Wasserstein right. and Company bought them in like 2004, something like that. They levered the balance sheet, extracted dividends, a couple hundred million in dividends. Right. They bankrupted, and then what they did? They dumped the pension on the PBGC. That's right. That's and, what they do. And then uh, Goldman bought uh, Goldman and Onyx bought the old Hawker Beechcraft, uh, the private jet company, which is the number two right. pri- private jet company in America. They bought them for like right. $3 billion. They put them into bankruptcy. Right. And they dumped and, their and, pension and, liabilities. And they didn't have, that, that case is in our book, by the way. They did not have to put them into bankruptcy. Had Onyx been in charge, they would not have gone into bankruptcy. But Goldman Sachs was the senior partner. It was an embarrassment to Goldman Sachs that the company was having trouble, and they'd rather get rid of it than deal with it. Just unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable that you will get you will kill so many people's jobs that way. You know, just because you don't want to be embarrassed by the fact you invested in something that's not doing so well, you might have to carry it for a while. Yeah, and when they it's bought, unbelievable. yeah, but when they bought the company too, they knew about the uh, the pension liabilities. They knew that uh, Hawker Beechcraft um, had uh, you know, the un- underfunded pension, but then they dumped it on the PBGC and. Uh, um, That's a common common tactic. They they declare bankruptcy. But the worst offender uh, in this uh, case is Sun Capital, the place where. Uh, oh yeah 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 friendly forty seven percent yeah yeah yeah. So Sun Capital has figured out the the worst scam that you can think of along those lines. Usually, if a company declares bankruptcy, the the shareholders that own the company at least they no longer own the company. Right, the company is now. Bankrupt. Au contraire. Buy it out of bankruptcy. And of course, you get in the bankruptcy uh, proceedings, you get rid of the liabilities for the pensions. Yep. So now somebody else comes along and says, oh, without the pension liabilities, happy to buy the company. And also, a lot of that leveraged debt goes away, right? That's so right. So the next company comes along and says, okay, I think we can buy it and make money out of it. Now, Here's what Sun Capital does. So Sun Capital is big, and it has a couple of private equity funds, and it has an arm that lends money. So one of Sun Capital's, uh, I I don't know whether people in New Hampshire are familiar with Friendly's. Oh, yeah, it's it's huge. I mean, it was, you know. Okay, great. Yeah, 10,000. And it's huge there, too. Okay, so they buy up Friendly's. They sell off the real estate. They make a lot of money. 
and then they don't do anything about improving the menu. By the way, the workers were very happy to see them come in. They're not unionized. Yep. They did have pensions, and they were happy to see private equity come. Oh, they're going to make investments. Our menu is going to improve. Our business is going to get better. They didn't do any of that. They just sold off the real estate and took out the, the dividend, the thing that you mentioned before, took out the money, and uh, Friendly goes into bankruptcy. Now, when a company is in bankruptcy, there may be another company that will lend it money to keep it going. Uh, and so in this case, it was another <laughs> affiliate of Sun that loaned <laughs> it the money to keep it going. They are now the biggest lender to uh, Friendlies, and the biggest lender has a say in how all these things work out. And in the end, a second private equity fund, so a third part of, of Sun Capital, came along and bought it out of bankruptcy. It's, yeah, so it's, at the end of the day, Sun Capital still owns Friendly's restaurants without the old debt that they put on it, without the liability for the pensions that they put on it, and they just go on their merry way. They, they declare bankruptcy, and they're still the owners. The organization, the government agency uh, that... Uh, takes over the pensions, at least in the private sector, not in the public sector, takes over private sector pensions when the company goes bankrupt, sued in court. They said, this is ridiculous. They declare bankruptcy, they get rid of the pensions, then they own the company anyway, and this is uh, it's just a sham. But the court sided with the Sun Capital. Yeah. And they did not just do that once. They did it. It's, uh, I've been able to identify four times where they did that. But I, I guess I guess this, this one though I guess which we'll we'll see I mean because this pension dumping thing is huge and and Burkle did it you know was was uh, Bill Clinton's buddy right and, and, right. and a bunch of people it, it's gonna it's gonna bankrupt the uh, the agency that that guarantees these the pensions they're they're really in danger of being bankrupted and at that point the taxpayers are going to have to step in or people are going to lose their pensions completely just unbelievable I was I was talking to a actually one of the top actuaries in the country and I'm trying to get him on the show but he doesn't want to talk about it, but he was telling me how he, he used to work for KKR in, in the 80s and how they kind of engineered this stuff. Oh, yeah. My point is is that we have a new administration, so we got Mnuchin, we got Wilbur Ross, and then we're going to have to come up to a break to keep us legal, uh, Eileen, and um, tell us about sure. what—wasn't Wilbur Ross, didn't he benefit—didn't he own the steel company and, and George— So here's the, th here's the thing about Wilbur Ross. He has a different kind of private equity firm than the typical private equity firm. He engages in what's called distressed investing, and he does actually try to turn around the companies that he takes over. Of course, he wants to make money. But if you think about the steel industry, uh, we had this big crisis in Asia in 1997 uh, that the Asian economies all collapsed. There was all the steel that had been going to those economies. It's now getting dumped in the U.S. Prices are in the, in the gutter. Uh, steel companies can't make it. Then we let China join the WTO in 2001. In, a, in just a few years, 45 steel mills shut down. 55,000 workers lost their jobs. So along comes Wilbur Ross, who, by the way, had inside information that Bush was going to put tariffs on steel. It was being dumped. He was finally <laughs> getting around to putting the tariffs on the steel. And Wilbur Ross knew that this was highly likely to happen. And so he got together with Leo Girard. I, we interviewed the steelworkers. Now, I didn't interview Leo directly, but we got the story in Pittsburgh from the steelworkers. And they said that uh, Wilbur Ross came up to Leo Girard and said, I hear you know how to make steel. I know how to make money. Do we have a deal? He bought up 
at a time when nobody was interested in investing in the integrated steel industry. Uh, he brought up Bethlehem, he brought up Weirton, he brought up uh, LTV, and he put them together in something called the Inter- Integrated Steel Group, or ISG. He was not anti-union. He did work with the union, although the union, I'll, t- I'll tell you how the story ends, and they, they, they say that it was a bittersweet experience. But he did reopen many of the mills. We have an integrated steel industry in this country only because of what he did. So that is the plus side of it, which the steelworkers will give him credit for. But as the steelworkers, one of them said, having Wilbur Ross come in was like uh, being taken to the emergency ward of a a hospital. And the doctor saves your life, but he cuts off your leg while he does it. In the end, Wilbur Ross made $4 billion on the deal. That was what he did is, of course, he laid off workers. He uh, got rid of their health and welfare benefits. He got rid of their pensions. Uh, Like the other companies we talked about, those workers only get the pension that they get from the government agency, much less than they were expecting. He made $4 billion. The steelworkers lost $4 billion in health, welfare, and pension benefits. So uh, he saved the steel industry, but he made a ton of money, and he didn't worry anything about people who lost their health insurance, who were in treatment for cancer or whatever, and could no longer continue the treatments. I mean, it was just a horrible situation. He did understand that the union knew how to make steel and that it was the uh, managers of these old legacy steel companies that wouldn't really negotiate with the union over how to better make the steel, how to be more productive. Wilbur Ross sat with the union in the negotiations with the steel companies. They took 40% out of the cost in the indirect uh, costs and they got rid of a lot of managers who did not know what they were doing, who were just obstructionists. The steel workers did know what to do to make those mills productive again. So he's really a mixed bag. He doesn't uh, object to working with unions as long as he can make money. Of course, there are other stories that are not as good as, the, as this particular story. Uh, the Sago coal mine, which he did also turn around, but it had a terrible safety record. He seemed to have ignored it. He says he never knew about it. There was a terrible mine disaster Many work, a dozen workers were uh, killed in a West Virginia uh, mine disaster. In North Carolina, he purchased the struggling textile mills, laid off the American workers, opened plants in China and Mexico. The company, of course, survived, turned around. He made lots of money, but many, many jobs were offshored. So he's really a mixed bag, but he's not, he's not the kind of evil that you see in Mnuchin. Yeah, I know. Foreclosing on 36,000 families, throwing a woman out of her, an old woman out of her house over a 27 cent mistake on a check she sent them. I I, have, I wish we I could do another hour with you, but uh, we have limited mm-hmm. time. A couple of th- things which I, I really want to hit on, really, because I'm just trying to get t- to wake people. Uh, how can they find out more about you and um, your author, co-author Rosemary? Well, uh, they can visit the CBER website, and of course we have the book, uh, Private Equity at Work, When Wall Street Manages Main Street, uh, where we tell a lot of these stories yeah, you, of companies that were taken over and so on. Yeah, I love your research. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Doubting Thomas, the First Order, and great research there, and, and I loved it. And uh, Thank you. you know, I Really, you know, a great job. And you know, I'm a nerd on this stuff, but you did a great job, and I, I learned some stuff. We, but. We, we have some updates on the CEPR website, www.cepr.net. We look at the uh, ways in which uh, private equity uh, – 
uh, cheats its investors and cheats the taxpayers in a paper that we did about fees that they charge and so on. Uh, and we did a paper on their performance. So uh, private equity does all of these miserable things, and it promises pension funds and other investors, we're going to make you really rich. Well, that that may have been true in the olden days, but that has not been true for a very long time. So we have a paper called uh, uh, "Whether uh, Low Returns for These Private Equity Funds Is the uh, Is the New Normal," whether poor performance uh, is the new normal, it's, it's, and uh, we make the argument that they are unlikely to beat the stock market, unlikely to do better than just investing in stocks, plain vanilla investing, uh, uh, in the, for the foreseeable future. Amen. Now, Eileen, one of the things which, you know, and I'm, I know this stuff, but I want you to explain it because one of the things that the, the whole private equity trade, I want to essentially hit to um, where they get their money from, the state pension funds, but also, but first I'd like to talk about the tax benefits because to me, the tax benefits of private equity, it's, it's like the 1%, one-tenth of 1% heaven. I mean, could you okay, could, so you, could you explain carried interest and the Devert. I will explain carried interest, but t- trust me, that is the least of the tax benefits. Not the least, but, but the one of the tax benefits they get. So carried interest is just a fancy name for profit sharing yep. or commission. It's a performance. It's a payment for good performance. Uh, so uh, as I pointed out, the private equity funds uh, firms have very little of their own money at risk. They put up $1 to $2 for every hundred dollars yeah. the pension funds and other investors put up. So they have one to two percent invested. But if there are any profits to be made, they take twenty percent of the profit. One to two percent invested, twenty percent of the profit. And they only get that of course if there is a profit. So only if there is um, uh, if the fund performs well can they get that uh, that uh, profit sharing. Uh, anybody else who does profit sharing, the, the steelworkers have had profit sharing going back to the early days of the 20th for more than 100 years. And if you get a profit sharing and you're a worker, you pay ordinary income, income tax. Ordinary income tax. You and me and if everyone else. If you are a shoe salesman and you get a commission, you, you pay. pay ordinary income tax on Amen. If, if you are a corporate executive and you get a bonus, you pay ordinary income taxes on it. The only people who get performance pay and don't pay ordinary income taxes are the private equity guys uh, and, and the hedge fund guys. So they call it carried interest. It's just a performance bonus. And instead of being taxed, these guys are, of course, at the very top of the tax bracket. They would pay nearly 40% uh, in income tax on that money. And instead, they get taxed at the, at the uh, 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 capital gains rate of only 20%. So they save half their taxes uh, on this uh, performance bonus that they get. It's, so it's, that's that's a big one, and I think people can understand it. It's a loophole that has to be closed. Nobody else who gets performance pay gets to pay capital gains tax on it. They all have to pay ordinary income tax on it, and the private equity guys should do it too. Yeah, but they have many many more scams. If you're interested, I can. Oh no, I know. The, we got monitoring fees. We got monitoring acceleration fees. You know, as I say, I could right. I could have you on for an hour. Um, you could. You know. So the, so the, so the, that that loophole is the easiest one to understand, and I think that uh, people should insist that it be closed, that they pay their fair share of taxes, at least at that point. Yeah, amen for that. I want to talk about who, where they get the money from. I couldn't believe this. 
Trump establishes his uh, the president's strategic and policy for for forum. Oh yes. <laughs> <laughs> did Did you see who was on this forum? I did. I did. Is that not ridiculous? Oh, got, are these the people who are going to be doing industrial policy for us? Yes. They are not going to be creating manufacturing jobs. They are not going to be creating construction jobs. They are going to be creating money, money, money. Yeah, for themselves. And at I mean, the top of the pile was Steve Schwartzman from the Blackstone. Yes, yeah, Steve Schwartzman from Blackstone. You know, <laughs> Steve Schwartzman is the guy that when Obama said he'd like to tax carried interest as uh, ordinary income, he compared that to, to the Nazi invasion of Poland. I know. He I know. said you... <laughs> you are you are uh, you are attacking us the way the Nazis attacked the Polish people. Yeah, you know. And oh I, my God! You know, so you know, in Schwarzman, by the way, I know realize that he made eight hundred million. I found this out. I would. I didn't pick pick this out, but Schwarzman made eight hundred million in, in carriages and dividends in in two thousand fifteen. Who knows what he's going to make this year? But you know, it, but the rest of uh, Trump's team. You know, you got Jamie Dimon's on the board, and of course, you got J.P. Right. Morgan. They made a fortune in the leverage loan business. You got right. uh, you got Larry Fink who's, who buys up a lot of these portfolio Trump, companies. Trump, 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 right. You know, you got uh, you got Jack Welch. You know, the GE, which was one of the biggest banks in America. And, and now he's a well, part. And also, I mean, Jack Welch was famous for uh, laying people off. Oh yeah, Neutron Jack. They used to call him. He was the guy who, who really made that uh, that happen. <laughs> yeah, Neutron Jack. They they call them. But because uh, this is thing that people don't understand, and it's just it's such a huge part of the economy. What they say as much as twenty percent of the U.S. economy. The finance you're talking about? Oh, no, about uh, private equity ownership. Oh, private equity. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's that big. But everyone, they still need money. And of course, the you know, yeah, it's, it's other people's money. Is my whole point is other that, people's money. It's always exactly. other people's money, and this is what my whole my rant is. And and by the way, I'm having John Kay on next week, Eileen from from England. We're going to talk oh, about good. his book, Other People's Money, because it's always about other people's money. When they bail out, they get the taxpayer to bail them out. But where are these? Yeah, exactly, exactly. I, I I mean, one way of looking at it is when you look at these things, this is taxpayer finance capitalism. I had a, a woman in Maine who had been an economic development uh, official in Maine tell me that this stuff is just taxpayer finance capitalism. They could not live without the money from the taxpayers and, of course, the pension funds and so on. Believable. The whole thing is it's money in a lockbox. But tell, tell the listeners, where did these private equity financiers get their limited partner money, which is the core capital for them to invest? Where do, they, where, right. where do these so, guys get this money from? I know the answer, but you tell them. Right. So, so 35% of it comes from pension funds. Another big chunk comes from insurance companies. Uh, sovereign wealth funds like the Chinese Sovereign Wealth Fund and the Saudi Arabia and all of those, Kuwait and uh, all those sovereign wealth funds are, are big investors. And then some from wealthy individuals. But the big ones are the uh, pension funds are the biggest, the insurance companies, and uh, the sovereign wealth funds. Some of these, these, these. Well, the funny thing we can get into another thing about pension funding and and Calpers and the whole thing, and because they're exempt from ERISA and all that stuff. And it's a, yeah. I I don't know if you've been following like the Dallas firing police, and I, and this caught my eye the other week, and um, they had fifty two percent of their pension plan, Eileen, in alternatives, mm-hmm. which is which is crazy. Right. Right. It's crazy, and so they lost. I think. I think the Dallas firing police lost a billion dollars last year, and mostly in alternatives. You know, we can go on and on about all you know the how private equities and been involved in the collapse of Caesar's um, uh, Entertainment. You know, the Harris old Harris Entertainment, right? And, right, and right. it's always other people's money, and it, right. 
Right. And Caesars Entertainment, by the way, employed 37,000 unionized workers when uh, private equity took it over, when Apollo took it over. You know what the guy, who was the guy? Uh, Gary Loveman. You know, he, yes. you know, you know <laughs> they, what did they bankrupt in, in January 2015, I think? Yeah. You know what Loveman made in 2014? Because I, I pulled the information. You know, what he, you know what Loveman made before he bankrupted the uh, no, Caesars? I don't. He made $36 million. Yeah. These guys make these guys make more money than the presidents of Goldman Sachs and the CEO of Goldman Sachs and the other big banks. The private equity guys, the hedge fund guys, they make the most money. It's just ridiculous. Yeah. So you know, yes, so they they do. They they make all that money and uh, they get to act like, hey, we had nothing to do with the fact that this company became bankrupt. You know, they, they loaded what they did is they bought Harris. It was called Harris at the time. Yeah. And they bought it just before the recession. They loaded it up with, with debt. 22 and, billion. Uh, yeah. And uh, any industry that is cyclical, any industry that suffers in a recession should not be loaded up with that kind of debt. We had restaurants go under. We had hotel chains go under. We had uh, the casinos go under because people don't have to go to a hotel or eat in a restaurant or gamble in a casino. Those companies should have low debt loads, not you know debt loads up to their neck. And you, the, that's that leverage that you were talking about, and that just drove them under. The bankruptcy, you know, I call it bankruptcy for billionaires. Is they're all involved in, and, and there's no skin in the game for them. That's right. There's, there's no right. skin in the game, and but the, but the, right. the tragedy is, as you know, their their exit strategies. They're always talking about exit strategies. I call it the greater fool theory. Apollo and all, and uh, blacks. You know, Blackstone, BlackRock, well, they're all interconnected. They they bought. Remember the um, the Sea World. Uh, they they yes. did they did a carve out of uh, the uh, Anheuser Busch uh, where 3G bought an LBO for 58 billion. They carved out Sea World for I think 2.9 billion. Blackstone, <laughs> they uh, got it for 2.9 billion, mostly with debt. They did a dividend recap, Eileen, for 600 mm-hmm. million. They get hit with the they get hit with the black rocks uh, black uh, they dumped it on the public markets at thirty bucks a share, and I think I think uh, black uh, the Sea World entertain Seas people they don't believe me go to New York Seas is the is the ticker symbol I think it's trading around fourteen bucks a share but the major shareholders of of the Sea World Entertainment are Vanguard. You know, fidelity to the same right. old people, other people's money. Right. So, so, so let's stop and think about it. Who, in fact, so these things are loaded up with debt. Anybody who has any sense knows that they are not worth buying. I would never. I mean, and they, and they are having trouble with the IPOs, taking these companies public. They're basically selling them from one to another. But let's say they do take it public with all that debt and all that bad uh, business behind them. Who actually buys those stocks? And my theory, I don't have proof of this, but my theory, and I'm pretty sure I'm right, is that it is the mutual funds of America, which it is of the rest of us who have 401ks to have our money in mutual funds, we think they're safe. They just stuff them with this crap that the private equity guys want to sell, because I don't know who else would buy it. So then, you're, then you're, your 401k doesn't do as well as you had hoped it would do, because it's got stocks that are now, or bought at 50 bucks or whatever it is, or trading at 14. Matter of fact, I disclosed this information to Jack Bogle, who's the president of Van- with the founder of Vanguard. He's very d- upset about it. But in, uh, in the notes I sent you down, but this is the problem. Um, 
Eileen, thank you so much. And uh, again, sure. um, uh, my pleasure. You know, really, God bless you for what you do. You're, you're a courageous woman. Yeah, and you too. You know, you and too. I'm looking forward to reading more of your stuff. You know, and um, and you're listening to WSCA. Uh, uh, Portsmouth Community Radio in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. My name is Barry James Dyke, um, you, uh, the Economic Warrior Show. And you, my guest today has been a wonderful pleasure to have Eileen Applebaum, manager, uh, the author with uh, co-author with Rosemary Bat of Private Equity at Work when Wall Street manages Main Street. And for all listeners out there th- throughout the country and uh, overseas, I highly recommend you get this book if you really want to understand what's going on. God bless you, uh, Eileen. We'll okay, talk thanks again. Thanks so much for having me. Take care and God bless. This has been The Economic Warrior with your host, Barry James Dyke. Broadcast live at WSCA Portsmouth Community Radio. Engineered by Phil Kleiger. If you have any questions about today's show or need an ally in conquering the battleground of finance, contact the warrior himself at barryjamesdyke.com. Who are the warriors?